0: Welcome to the EverSaleen podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics and reducing costs.
1: The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense.
0: This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited catalyst consulting exists to help people and organizations work better today and be ready for tomorrow they have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility lean six sigma strategy deployment agile and change management they can help you and your organization to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently to find out more check out catalystconsulting.co.uk Today we delve into project selection and statistical analysis, offering practical insights to help you navigate these topics effectively. Selecting the right projects can be daunting, but fear not, we're here to guide you through transforming problems into well-defined projects that drive growth and success. Creating a robust pipeline of projects is critical to address organisational challenges and fuel progress. Statistical analysis, while initially intimidating, is a fascinating world that holds immense power in continuous improvement. It allows us to summarise data, test hypotheses and make evidence-based decisions for impactful changes. In this episode, we'll provide a gentle introduction to three statistical analysis techniques, the two-sample t-test, correlation analysis and regression analysis. And joining us today is Pranav Radhakrishnan, a distinguished director at Novartis, a global pharmaceutical leader. Pranav's expertise in operational excellence and Lean Six Sigma, a master's in industrial engineering, a pending MBA from the Columbia University and a remarkable career journey brings a unique and knowledgeable perspective to project selection and statistical analysis. Together we'll explore practical strategies and inspiring experiences that will empower you to prioritise strategic projects, drive financial growth and enhance engagement so get ready to unlock the secrets of project selection and statistical analysis with Pranab's invaluable insights. Pranab, a huge welcome to the Eversalim podcast.
1: Thank you, Matt. Uh, that was a really great introduction.
0: Uh, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Do you know what? It's really hot up here today. So it's, it's getting towards uh, what half past seven in the evening here in the UK, and it's been a scorching day. And the studio is just absolutely roasting. There's no air, and I'm just pouring with sweat. So this is a, <laughs> this is a session that's going to double up as an opportunity for me to lose some weight. I think. <laughs>
1: Well, uh I mean I ca- I can tell you New York City is having some quite decent weather. We did have the smog from Canada a couple of days ago. It's cleared up a little bit today. So uh that's that's pretty good. It's it's looking like a good weekend today.
0: Oh lovely. Of course, yeah, because you're time zone wise, you're behind us, so you're still enjoying your Sunday, whereas I'm thinking about work tomorrow. Correct.
1: <laughs> well but well, I hope you lose don't lose too much weight uh this session.
0: I know, I'll be a skeleton by the end of the session. You watch, it's, it's so hot. Uh, so thank you for your time. Really appreciate you being here today. Um, I think these are two really important subjects that I get asked about regularly. So I think the opportunity to explore them with an expert like yourself and then share your knowledge is going to be super valuable for many.
1: Of course. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I uh, really appreciate uh, the opportunity.
0: So tell us a little bit about what drives you then. What, what's your sort of career highlights that you'd like to call out?
1: Well, uh, I have been an operational excellence expert and consultant and uh, leader for the past uh, 13 years across several uh, domains and industries. I started uh, out working for the Department of Veteran Affairs, and that's essentially where I was introduced uh, to healthcare. And uh, I was in frontline uh, healthcare, uh, helping patients with the operational excellence project at the hospitals. And then I worked for General Electric for a little bit, where I worked on supply chain problems uh, with General Electric. And then I worked at Bayer as a a global consultant, where I traveled uh, all over the world, um, solving operational excellence problems um, across different domains and uh, industries. Because Bayer in itself has uh, many kinds of businesses uh, within it, and I was an internal consultant there. And I have been with Novartis for close to four and a half years, as you said, um, a major pharmaceutical uh, leader in the world, and I have been uh, driving uh, operational excellence in our uh, patient access business for almost half a decade now.
0: I bet it's gone quick.
1: (laughs) Time flies. I definitely agree. But it's also been rewarding uh, working in the uh, healthcare pharmaceutical space where essentially you see the outcome of your work enriching the lives of people and patients around the world
0: that's what i call real work you're you're not impacting a, a package getting from a to b or you're not impacting a you know a car being built you're actually impacting people's lives directly it must be really rewarding
1: <laughs> yes I, I guess that's what motivates me every single morning uh, to wake up and, and and go to work and, uh, and it keeps keeps me uh, keeps me on my toes and keeps me driving
0: How exciting. Sounds fantastic. Out of interest, so obviously those different roles you've had, you've always worked in a a similar field in terms of continuous improvement and and excellence. Have you come across the same issues or have the cultures been very different? How have you found changing between them?
1: The underlying uh, assumptions of problem solving and tools we use uh, in operational excellence remain the same irrelevant of the industry or the kind of business uh, one operates in. I've been able to successfully use uh, the arsenal of tools at our disposal uh, within the realm of Lean Six Sigma And um, deploying it successfully across manufacturing projects, uh, service-related projects, or business process-related projects. So uh, essentially, I think it comes down to picking the right tools for the right project and essentially uh, see uh, rewarding outcomes. So uh, essentially um, I I wouldn't say it's a rinse and repeat. It is a rinse and repeat in some sense that you kind of get to use the same tools over and over again. So you kind of can predict what's gonna happen next. But also it's very important to choose the right tools for the kind of project you're tackling Mm. because it's not a one size fits all.
0: I guess that comes with experience, doesn't it? Choosing the right tool at the right time for the right issue. Correct it's funny when, when we learn when, when we when we start off on journeys for continuous improvement we learn about all these tools and then we come across a problem and it's almost like you know if you've got a, a toolbox in your garage and you open it up and you've got all these tools there and you're like oh which one shall i use it's really <laughs> tempting to just pick the wrong one i think it's experience that helps you doesn't it It Helps right. you learn which is the right tool because you wouldn't use a screwdriver to hammer in a nail
1: i i completely agree with you and I, I don't think uh, you could have said it better and uh, and there are some tools which I would say are staples and I think those are uh, a couple which we are going to cover uh, in our our talk today and I'm kind of excited to uh, share my experience with you uh, on uh, those tools and I I hope like your listeners uh, will be able to benefit from our uh, little chat
0: here. Oh, Absolutely I have no doubt I've got my pen and my notepad ready so I'm all good to take down some notes from today so I'm really excited. Do you know what it's just made me think of when we just described those different tools? Do you ever buy like the biscuit selection boxes that you get at Christmas where you open up the box and there's like a foil wrapper and there's all these different types of biscuits in it? And when you first open it, no one reads the instructions of what biscuit is what. You just look at them and you're like, which (laughs) one shall I have first? That's what it's like, isn't it? It's like, oh, the first one. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes,
1: absolutely. And we are going to talk about the first one uh, in in quite literal sense. Like, you know, the sausage uh, making behind the scenes before a operational excellence is
0: deployed. Right, let's get on to selection of projects then. So the process of problem to project, how would you describe that?
1: Well, every organization essentially deals with uh, issues at any given point in time. Typically, there's two ways of uh, tackling this. Um, You can either send an operational excellence to say, hey, there's a fire right here please go and uh, resolve this fire, uh, use your uh, lean techniques and statistical uh, knowledge to come out with uh, what could be a good solution. Uh, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong in doing that. But then uh, there's a, a little bit more uh, strategic way of looking at this as well from a planning perspective where you kind of tackle uh, the issues which are just go- going to move the needle for a particular business or a department or an organization. And essentially, that is where I would say it's important of business leaders to recognize that a lot of planning can go into operational excellence projects. It doesn't always have to be, uh, I would say, a firefighting where you have an operational issue and you're trying to fix it. You could essentially take a step back and look at what the priorities uh, or the strategic objectives of the organization or the department are for the upcoming year, and essentially position our operational excellence project in line with uh, what the objectives are to be achieved by end of the year.
0: And that's a really good point, because so often we perceive continuous improvement of solve a problem that pops up at that moment, like whack a mole. The mole's popped up and we've got to whack it back down. (laughs) That's what it's like, isn't it? Correct. But it doesn't have to be just used for that. You can use it for thinking ahead. So you're looking at your roadmap for the following year. What's important to this organization? What are we trying to achieve? And how can we use continuous improvement to do that?
1: Absolutely. As a global consultant, I have essentially uh, worked with business leaders, uh, vice presidents, uh, senior directors, directors uh, across uh, various businesses over time. This is one of the rinse and repeat tool, uh, which uh, I have uh, continuously uh, used in every uh, situation, which is essentially the selection of projects for the strategic objectives uh, of the particular group. Typically, um, during this discussion, uh, what I do is I bring The department heads could be a a vice president of a plant or a vice president of a division uh, and uh, middle level managers and also frontline associates. It's very important to have a diversity of, you know, not just top leaders, but also middle level managers and frontline associates to actually uh, understand what the issues are or the opportunities are in that particular department.
0: That's a really good point. If you leave it just to senior leaders who are sitting behind a Desk, they might not actually understand where the problems are, that maybe they're just going off of a spreadsheet or a bottom line. That's probably quite critical.
1: I fully agree with you. And typically, how this works is uh, there's probably like maybe uh, six to 10 people in a conference room. And um, think of us uh, having a huge whiteboard or a huge glass wall in front of us with a lot of post it notes and pens on the table. And essentially, um, I asked a question. What are the biggest opportunities you see in your day-to-day job right now? Or what are the biggest uh, issues uh, you see in your in your day-to-day job right now? So it kind of is driven bottom up and top down. And all uh, seven or eight of them go into a mode of like picking up uh, the post-it notes and writing down in a very short manner uh, a certain opportunity or an issue they deal with on a day-to-day basis. And it's uh, really good coming from three levels of the organization at the same time and nobody's controlling the narrative and it just goes on to this huge whiteboard or this glass wall in in front of us.
0: They're the best sessions. I love a good session with a blank you go in with a blank wall and you just fill it up with post-it notes and diagrams and ideas. It's worth remembering as well. If if you're in an organization where, you know, you get that group of people together, all different roles, all different backgrounds, all different perspectives, sometimes it can be easier to do what's known as a negative brainstorm to generate those ideas. You know, what does bad look like? What does not so good look like? Because people naturally are very, it's very easy for them to pull out what's bad and what's not so good. And it helps because you just flip it around then. Once you've got that negative, you can flip that round and then that's your opportunity, isn't it?
1: I fully agree with you. And you also have created a good segue into like, hey, what happens next? (laughs) Like, you know, we have this issue or this opportunity. We have, I usually end up with, 50 to 60 post-it notes on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and essentially uh, the team was quite amazed at, at how much uh, opportunities or issues, you know, the uh, particular department or a division of a business is dealing with at any given point in time. And that's business on a daily basis, right? So so that we have this 60 post-it notes staring at us on the wall. And, and now we need to essentially figure out which ones are we going to work on? Right. And, and that's essentially uh, what we are going to discuss about right now. Do you, Do you have a clue about, uh, have you done this before? Do you know, do you have a methodology where uh, you uh, essentially um, come up with which ones to work on first and make it into projects?
0: That's a very daunting task for a lot of people as well. They sort of sit there and they see all of these ideas that they've all churned out over a period of 20 minutes, half hour, an hour it's then looking at that and going, right, what ones should we look at? And in my experience, it's tend to have been a, a quarterly activity. So it's not too longer term. It's kind of like very short term. I see. And we've done it via a cost and ease matrix. So we're looking at the impact, the cost, the ease of implementation, because sometimes it depends on the quarter you're looking at. If you're in quarter one, I tend to find people are more willing to spend money on solving a problem. If you're in quarter four, it's less likely that people want to spend money. Do you know what I mean? It's that that changes the concept, doesn't it?
1: I I fully agree with you. And essentially, it's very close to uh, uh, what I do as well. uh, What I do is I actually kick the entire team out of the conference room and I kind of retain maybe one person in that group. And essentially, I, I send them on a break. I kind of categorize these 60 post-it notes into different kinds or or, or, uh, or groups where, you know, you can categorize them into groups and, and essentially see, hey, this is like service number one, this is service number two, or this is, op- this is essentially a part of the business where you can kind of group it together. And we end up with like, I don't know, maybe say five or six uh, groups. And we kind of uh, attach these post-it notes uh, into these groups. And pretty much do exactly what you said, right? I mean, kind of look at the effort level necessary on each of these issues or opportunity and kind of demarcate it into, hey, this is a low effort and this is low resources versus this is high effort and this is high resources. I already make a demarcation there with a little bit of a colored ink, say blue or red, so that uh, by the time they come back, they see this wall, which was like in chaos and now they have uh have it nicely organized into five different groups of projects
0: it's quite a, a cleansing experience normally isn't it to to get everything out then sort it out it's like having a tidy up at home it's like when you clear out your garage then put it all back in neat and tidy it makes you feel good
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i agree with you the work doesn't stop there matt i mean there's there's still more you still have this 60 possible opportunities of projects and uh how do you determine which one are you going to work on and which one you're not going to work on? And this is where I kind of repurposed a Lean Six Sigma tool, uh, which is called a cause and effect matrix. It's typically used to identify which of the input steps is highly correlated to the objectives of the actual business or the project itself into project selection at the uh, very initial level.
0: You've intrigued me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's just a repurpose of the tool itself. As next step, what I do with the entire group is come up with strategic objectives of the uh, group itself. Because it is an important factor which goes into the cause and effect matrix. And basically, they give me uh, three or four strategic objectives for the department. And once they give me, say, three or four strategic objectives, they rate those four objectives uh, by importance uh, between the numbers one and 10. So typically, uh, I always get 10 for all four, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I kind of force them to kind of put it in a ranking order. And typically, I see 10, 9, 8, and 7. But at least that's better yeah. than getting 10 on
0: all four. I guess it, if someone put one or two, you'd have to say, well, why have you put it on the list then? Exactly. <laughs> is <that> very important. Because <laughs> every problem is important to someone, isn't it?
1: Correct. I, I agree. And, and you can see those dynamics uh, play out, you know, and it's, it's kind of interesting to watch. As a Lean Six Sigma, um, you know, master black belt, you kind of have to moderate the conversation and, you know, discuss it out, you know, really um, get the real strategic objectives so that this is really going to drive uh, what projects are going to
0: be picked. And that's the challenge, isn't it? And that's the bit that I think we need to cover in a bit of detail now. We've got that list. What's the cause and effect matrix then? How does that work?
1: Essentially, at this point, uh, I think you have all the uh, uh, ingredients to you know, essentially whip up the uh, cause and effect matrix and put it into play. And now what I do is uh, if you've seen a cause and effect matrix and it's like a very simple, like anyone can just do a simple Google search and they would get uh, millions of templates or pictures of a cause and effect matrix online. And typically what you have already done is you have all the uh, criteria for you to fill up this cause and effect matrix. You have the strategic objectives You have the ranking in which it is categorized by. Now, uh, you basically take uh, these 50 or 60 odd issues and opportunities and you list it one by one against your strategic objectives. Now, we go through this exercise where we say, hey, issue number one, uh, how correlated is it to uh, strategic objective number one, strategic objective number two, three, and four? And essentially, you need to give a scoring between 0, 1, 5, and 9. And I'm going to slow down here a little bit. Zero means the issue you're talking about has zero correlation with strategic objective number one. If you're going to give a scoring of nine saying issue number one is highly correlated with strategic objective number two. So essentially, you go through this for all four strategic objectives, and you would end up with something like, say, zero, nine, five, nine, right? Mm-hmm. If, you know, essentially, I'm hypothetically making this up for just one post-it note, which was listed on the wall. Now you go through that motion 50 times <laughs> <laughs> because we have 50 issues. Remember, 50 or 60 issues or opportunities and you go through that, it's kind of, you know, people get the hang of it after like two or three, and they basically just scream, now five, nine, zero. So it kind of, you know, this whole conference room kind of goes with a single number. Typically, there are disagreements where right? they would say, hey, issue number 34 and strategic objective three. Three people might say five, and three people might say zero, right? And then you kind of, pause there for a little bit someone would speak up to say hey this is why this uh, like you know it's it's correlated or not correlated and then very quickly, the group would come to a consensus and then we would like land on a correlation number between zero, one, five, and 9 and just keep moving on. So, I mean, this whole exercise, I mean, even if you have 50 or 60 uh, issues and opportunities on the wall would typically take around maybe maximum 30 minutes.
0: So it's good. It drives debate then amongst the group. It drives debate around what the correlation is and it probably helps understanding as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of forces people to think, hey, I'm complaining that, you know, a certain area of the business is not operating properly. But then it kind of forces people to think and, you know, colleagues and associates to think that, okay, even though we have this issue, how correlated it is to our overall strategic objectives it kind of puts them through this motion. And at this point, what you're doing is uh, you're not driving anything. I mean, you when I say you're not driving it, you're driving it from a sense that you're corralling the entire group to voice their own input. So it's not me coming up with numbers, but it's the actual group which is going to be probably working on these projects who are coming up with the scoring so they have buy-in in the decision-making.
0: So your role in there is like a facilitator. You're just instigating the conversation, Correct. guiding it along, and they're doing the work. They're having the conversations. They're making the decisions because it gives them ownership.
1: Correct. And obviously, as a you know a master black belt, your role would also be to ask probing questions if there is a certain disagreement on a certain correlation or a certain strategic objective or a certain Mm. uh, issue or an opportunity or whatever, where you kind of ask probing questions. Maybe I don't want to go into the five whys, but, you know, you essentially get clarity on uh, what we are trying to achieve and then resolve it and quickly move on to the next one.
0: So what happens if you've got, if you're in a large organization and in the group that you're working with, you've got multiple different departments and they've all got different strategic objectives? What happens in that scenario? Because when they look at the correlation, it might be really important to one group, but not so important to another group because of it doesn't have anything to do with their department. Do you know what I mean? How do you deal with that?
1: Uh, that's a really great question. And I think even though different departments might have different strategic objectives, it might be fair to say, and you especially work for very large organizations, you have overall strategic objectives. And that's something which essentially I foresee And make sure that we align on strategic objectives, which are one level above the individual department mandates.
0: Got it. Okay, so you're not looking for ground level. You are looking for the aerial view, the overarching view that everybody's working towards as a group, not their individual department objectives.
1: Correct. For example, it could be like, say, hey, if both departments are tasked with increasing top line by 5% or 7%, or if both departments are tasked with uh, reducing their costs by 3%, right? So these are organizational objectives, which everybody would have to meet. You know, essentially, the organization could be working towards turnaround time reduction, which has to be reduced by, say, 10% for the overall organization. So so essentially, it's important for the facilitator or the operation excellence expert in the room to understand your audience mm. and essentially drive the narrative and the conversation in a way where you're already mitigating some of these landmines which might come through the exercise. And that's where, you know, the experience part comes in where you're kind of forcing this and it's a smooth uh, workshop.
0: It's a great point. I think it's a really good exercise as well for leaders to understand how what they're doing in their department contributes to that overarching strategic direction. Cause so often you could be working really, really hard in your department with your team on your process and you completely lose sight of how, what you're doing impacts another department or another part of the organization and it all rolls up. And sometimes it's nice to take stock and see that. And I can imagine that scenario really drives that thinking.
1: Absolutely. Now you have, I would say a scoring of each and every project against four strategic objectives. You either have scores of zero, one, five and nine across 50 of them. And then you also have a rating of importance for these strategic objectives, which is between a zero and a 10. Typically we get 10, nine, eight, and seven uh, for these strategic objectives. What you do is you cross multiply and you add them up. So for example, the way it would happen is uh, hypothetically, say that uh, we had uh, 10, nine, eight, and seven for the strategic objectives and they were scored as 0, 1, 5, and 9, you would multiply 9 and 10 and 0 and 9 and 1, 8 and 5 and 7 and 9. I think I got that right. So...
0: <laughs> but if you didn't, don't worry. It's pre-recorded. We can edit it.
1: <laughs> well, so so that's that's pretty much it. I mean, this is where people get a little confused. It's actually not that confusing. You just cross-multiply it. And you get a value for each of these uh, opportunities and issues. And essentially what you do is when you do that, like for all 50 of them, you have a ranking system where uh, you can come up with like the top 10 projects, which is going to move the needle for the strategic objectives. And those are the projects which you're going to work on for the rest of the year.
0: It's as easy as that, Pradev. You make it sound simple. (laughs) simple. What happens if you have projects that have all got the same score? So they sit in the ranking. How do you prioritize them if that happens? So that
1: happens quite a bit because we have a bunch of projects which all sit on the same, uh, I would say, for example, score of, say, two, uh, 250. Like I would say I have four projects which have like a score of 250. What, what do you do? So then that, this is where, you know, you're, you're kind of uh, speaking with the, you know, team and you remember, we already marked the amount of effort which is required Yeah. and low hanging fruit. We kind of demarked it with different colors with red and blue. And typically what happens is when we want to say the top 10, we essentially end up looking at the top 15 or the top 20, where we would say, hey, even though this is a project which is going to move the needle, this year, we might not have enough resources to dedicate to this particular project, so we're going to put this in the parking lot and maybe look at the next one and see if we can work on that. You might end up with a good balance of low-hanging fruit uh, projects, a good uh, mix of, I would say, projects would require a certain amount of effort, which the department can deploy and um, and spend on for that particular year. So we end up with like a top 10 and it's not cut and dry where right? you're just taking the top 10 projects and you're running with it. You can, if you want, but then typically what happens is you're gonna end up with, we don't have the resources to do it. So even before the group disperses, we have this discussion of uh, which project they wanna work on and not work on. And you have a good mix of leadership, middle level managers, and frontline staff, who kind of are making the decision together.
0: Are you ready to elevate your team's ways of working? Are you seeking fresh insights and growth opportunities? Our experts will assess your team's practices, providing valuable insights for improvement and celebration. Reward and recognise your team with this certification tailored specifically for creating an improvement culture. The BQF Academy Accreditation acknowledges your journey, outstanding outcomes and future plans. Whether you utilise Lean, Six Sigma, project management, or continuous improvement techniques, this certification celebrates your incredible work and positive impact. Propel your team's performance to new heights with the BQF Team Excellence Culture Certification. Visit www.bqf.org.uk today and let's celebrate your success together.
2: 13-time Shingo Prize winner Dr. Jeffrey Leiker and Toyota Kata author Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere listening to some consultant when you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves? Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. So the ones that fall below the
0: line, you've always got those there. If you have extra resource throughout the year or if you have extra opportunity, you've got projects already lined up that you already kind of headline understand. And equally, when you come to this exercise next time, you might already have some on a list from last time and then you add the new ones to it. So it's an ever-growing list. Correct. And you
1: always have to reprioritize this every single year. So so typically, if a department is always working on operational excellence projects, and that is the idea, right? You always have a pipeline of projects. To work on and you keep constantly reviewing the list because business conditions change on a year-to-year basis a year is a pretty long time for business conditions to change what could be important this year could not be important next year if you want you can go through this exercise on a yearly basis or you could go through this exercise once in two years, right? So mm. so typically, that's a decision um, left to the actual department itself. But then, I mean, it's, it's good to go through this, you know, uh, half a day exercise where you kind of bring people in and look at everything before you select the projects and start assigning resources and start spending the money.
0: <laughs> you could find, I expect, that some of those are reliant upon other ones being completed first. So naturally, you're going to end up with, I need to do this one before I can do that one because this one directly impacts that one. So it gets a lower score this time. But next time, once you've completed that first action, that one might get a higher score. So it's really important to go back and redo that.
1: I, I fully agree with you. Yes, absolutely. Some some projects might be contingent on an earlier project being completed and, uh, you know, essentially uh, uh, for it to succeed uh, over the next uh, few years as well. So I'm, I'm fully on board with you on that. I've seen that as well.
0: Sometimes you get those projects that have fallen below the line and they don't really deliver anything against the strategic objectives that you want for that year. it's a really exciting project that you think will go a long way to engage people or, you know, to really make people feel special. And sometimes those ones you put through anyway, because, you know, they're not going to deliver lots of money. They're not going to be strategic initiatives. However, they are going to be strategic in engaging people, making them feel motivated, people related ones. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the question where you ask, which are the projects which actually succeeded and which are the projects which did not? I mean, it's totally OK for an operational excellence project to fail. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, I think it's, it's a very important to put out there. I mean, um, if you commission 10 projects every single year, typically you kind of have a high success rate. And that's imperative, uh, especially when you're working with experienced master black belts and black belts. But also there are a few projects which, uh, you know, don't necessarily succeed mm. for various reasons. So various legitimate business reasons, because once you go through the project, you kind of uncover uh, so many things which you initially did not know. And that could uh, lead to the project not being completed. And, and it could be a perfectly legitimate business reason for that project not to succeed. And you would probably learn from that uh-huh. and essentially recommission the project in a different way or look at the problem uh, differently. And that kind of leads us into our segue uh, of how do you know if a project has succeeded or not? Yes. (laughs) Well, essentially, uh, every project manager I work with always came back and said, hey, we improved in terms of uh, what we wanted to achieve for a certain project. As, you know, uh, Black Belts and Master Black Belts, we we are always trained to trust data. Data pretty much moves uh, our business. And uh, and that's where some of these statistical tests come in, which are quite handy.
0: Yeah, but they're also quite scary. As soon as you say the word statistical, people are like, oh, no, uh, no, I can't. It's beyond me. I can't do it. And it really has this negative effect on people. And it doesn't have to because it's not as complicated as it sounds. It's just knowing what to do and when, really, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. I'm going to try to, like, you know, talk about a couple which I use on a regular basis. And I'm going to try to kind of keep it as simple as I can. Uh, The first thing I at least tell my project managers uh, who are working on their green belt or black belt projects is that I ask the question, uh, let's put it through a two sample t-test. And uh, the moment I say two sample t-test, people kind of raise their eyebrows, project managers raise their eyebrows. I'm like, oh my God, Uh, I did listen to this during the training and i mean uh, how does it work yada yada it's actually not all that complicated what you're typically doing in a two sample t-test is everybody understands averages so you're taking a sample of data before the project started say for example your project is to improve the quality of water coming in or out of the plant And essentially the pH level is at a certain level and your job is to like change the pH level to lower or higher depending upon whatever your needs are. And essentially you take that as sample one. You see the average of say 10, 15 samples and it say lands at uh, 50 pH. And then you kind of complete the project and you measure it again and you take an average of say another 15 samples. And if it's at 50, you do not do anything. And if it is different, say it's at 100, then you know that your project did something. If your objective was to increase it, then there's a statistical validation which compared two averages to show that your project has been successful.
0: So we should clear up what the T stands for. In a two-sample T-test, the T refers to the T-distribution, and the T distribution is a mathematical distribution that is used in statistical hypotheses testing when a sample size is small or the population standard deviation is unknown. What's next?
1: Well, that's, that's one way to look at before and after. Uh, I use these words before and after quite a bit uh, with my project managers. What's before, what's after. It's compare both. There's, there's also um, a certain statistical tool which I actually uh, use quite a bit. Typically, you know, when you're trying to solve an issue or a problem, uh, you have a output, you know, you're working towards, and I kind of like to call that a Y variable, which is dependent on certain factors. Let me give you an easy example. Matt, is your weight loss correlated to your calorie intake? Yes. Okay, so good answer. Let me... (laughs) Let me ask you the same question uh, in a different way. Is your weight loss correlated to your amount of sleep?
0: I would say yes, because if I'm awake, I'm more likely to eat more.
1: Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Does that work? (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, I don't know, right? So this is where something called correlation comes into play. So you you have a solid answer for one, which is that, yes, your calorie intake is directly proportional to your weight loss, but you're like not too sure about the amount of sleep, right? I mean, it could, it could not. And this is where correlation comes into play. What is correlation? Correlation provides a quantitative value for the strength of a relationship between two variables. And typically, uh, when you're working in uh, a Lean Six Sigma project, uh, what you would do is you typically have an output variable, you typically have an input variable, you could have more than one, but just to keep it simple, let's just use one output variable, one input variable, you pitch them against each other in a scatter plot, and you see if there is a trend line there. So typically, sometimes uh, you will see a very clear trend line and, and essentially you can easily conclude that, you know, there is a, a correlation between variable X and output Y, but sometimes it's not so clear. So uh, what we do in the world of statistics is we use correlation coefficient called R. And typically uh, you can, you know, get the value of R, which is between minus one and one. And it kind of gives you the strength of the relationship between an input variable and an output variable.
0: So what comes next then? What comes after the uh, correlation analysis then?
1: So there are a couple of things I want to unpack here on the correlation analysis itself. So I did tell you, you know, the value of correlation could be between minus one and one. I want to clarify that a bit. So if your R value ends up being one uh, or minus one, which means that you have either very strong positive correlation or very strong negative correlation, right? So typically uh, it can be in both directions. But if the uh, R value is closer to zero, which means that you have a very less or no correlation. So this kind of would help you identify if a particular input variable is moving the needle on the output variable you're looking at.
0: Would you do that analysis pre and post?
1: your input variables could change post depending on on the project but typically like you know once you identify what your input variables are what your output variables are it doesn't change uh, as much so by doing this correlation uh, test you kind of uh, get a good understanding of which of the input variables actually moves the needle on your output variable to answer your question maybe. Uh, it really depends on the kind of project you're working on, but typically, once you establish the input and output variables, it doesn't uh, change so much. If you're interested, we can do a little bit of a bonus, maybe tip our toes in the world of regression.
0: Yes, let's hear it. Then let's go. Regression analysis is the one that I get the most questions on.
1: Well, essentially, what regression analysis is a quantitative relationship between the correlating variables so it was very important for us to discuss correlation first uh, before we went into discussing uh, regression analysis so uh, what is uh, let's ask the question what is regression analysis right so regression analysis determines uh, the regression relationship between uh, the dependent and the independent variable uh, the objective of the regression analysis is to derive uh, a mathematical uh, equation of the observed variation, uh, which can be a useful tool for predicting what is going to happen in the future.
0: That's a good description, but how do you actually do it?
1: Well, uh, thanks to the modern world of of computing we live in, you could generate regression equations on Microsoft Excel or uh, if you're uh, slightly a little bit uh, more well-versed in statistics and you have access to uh, statistical uh, suites such as Minitab and R, you can uh, essentially um, generate uh, regression equations in these uh, uh, statistical suites as well. The most important thing is that the user of uh, regression uh, analysis needs to understand some basic tenets of uh, the regression uh, equation. Typically, all regression uh, equations uh, have input variables and output variables. Another way of saying it is also independent variables, which are your input variable, and dependent variables, which are your output variables. People kind of get confused uh, with these terminologies all the time between input variables, output variables, independent variables, or dependent variables, or X and Y. They are kind of used in pairs the same way I used it <laughs> right now.
0: Is there just one type of regression analysis or is there different type?
1: Oh, there are so many different types of regression analysis. And I, I, don't, I don't know if we want to get into that discussion right now. But it's quite deep. Yeah, it's quite deep. I can, you know, at least uh, for the um, sake of just touching on these topics, I can say that, you know, the kind of what are the kind of different kinds of regression analysis? Simple linear regression, multiple linear regression, nonlinear regression and so on and so forth. Just to give you a real-life example of regression analysis itself, let's say, Matt, do you, do, you, do you have a car in the UK? Do you drive a car? I
0: do, yes, I do. <laughs> All right,
1: uh, so uh, we could predict uh, what the mileage of your car is going to be for the next month uh, by running a simple regression analysis. So if your uh, output variable is going to be uh, the mileage of your car and uh, your input variable is going to be, say, your air pressure. Or the amount of petrol or gasoline uh, you put into your car, and say the oil level of your car, and uh, maybe a couple of couple more input variables, and we collect data of all of these different input variables, and we measure the mileage of your car, maybe for the past one year, and we collected data for maybe the preceding 12 months. Uh, we could input that data in an Excel of say, hey, the air pressure of your car, uh, and just to keep this simple. Let's just keep talk, like you know keep it to air pressure and your uh, the amount of petrol you put into your car on a monthly basis, and then the output as your as the mileage of your car for the preceding 12 months. And you tell Excel what your x variables are and what your y variable is, and you run a regression, you will get an equation. Now, just for fun's sake, we could also throw in I would say an x variable of temperature of what kind of temperature uh, exists in the UK over a period of uh, 12 months. And you kind of get a good average of yeah. your mileage over over that year. And based on that equation, uh, you could just enter these three different variables, which is your temperature, which is the amount of gasoline you use or petrol you used in your car, And then uh, the temperature, average temperature for the upcoming month, the equation would give you uh, what your mileage would be for the next
0: month. Ah, do you know what? Right. And I should just say right from the outset, I haven't got a posh car. Okay, (laughs) It's not a posh car. But my car has an app, right, that links to the computer within the car and it does its own regression analysis. So it measures the amount of fuel in there. It measures the average consumption that I've used over the past month or six months. It measures the temperature. It measures the amount of air in each tire and it calculates the mileage and the cost per mile for me nice very clever very, nice. very clever
1: typically my car is always backward looking but uh, i i feel like you have a more advanced car than me which is forward looking Matt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the problem is you need to be advanced to work at how to use it and i haven't worked it out yet <laughs> but it's uh, it's very clever and it comes up with a little alerts and it says to me that you know we estimate that you will need to refuel give me the date it will say on the 16th of june we estimate you will need to Refuel. Judging by your your mileage over the last six weeks, we estimate that this will give you X number of miles based on current car conditions. Absolutely amazing how it does it. Like really clever.
1: Absolutely, and and I think that's a really good point of discussion. Say you you know even in in the new uh, electric vehicles, uh, which kind of are you know out these days, it kind of gives you a prediction of say, hey, uh, you probably have seventy miles. Left on your battery based on so many different factors, you're gonna have to find a charging point for you to go and uh, you know recharge your vehicle, and it kind of gives you a prediction of how many miles could drive a certain amount of battery left in the vehicle, and you know that is actually simple, you know regression. Obviously, they they probably have a lot more input variables and a lot more output variables than the level we are talking with, but it is Mm. literally underlying the same concept of doing predictions based. On
0: historical data. Yeah, and there's some industries that regression analysis is super important. You think about the space industry, you think about Apollo 13, you know, they had to really calculate down based on all the variables, all the input variables they had, and they had to get that calculation spot on to work out whether they could get back to Earth or not, and the right trajectory they had to have, the right weight they had to have. Really, really clever and, and when you think about it in those contexts, it clicks in your mind of exactly what it is and how it works.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I completely agree with you. So these very, uh, I would say, basic statistical concepts are used very powerfully in our day to day lives. And it's worth knowing for, you know, essentially people in the, in the realm of operational excellence, not in the realm of operational excellence. And the applications of these very basic uh, statistic tools can be very powerful in the projects one works on.
0: And they don't have to be daunting and scary. It's just knowing about the best tool to use and at what time. Once you understand that, they're not so scary. It's if you try and use them out of context or perhaps in the wrong order. And to your point before, if you try to do a regression analysis before doing a correlation analysis, it's much harder.
1: No, you want to do your correlation analysis before you do your regression analysis. (laughs) And that's why we started with correlation and kind of touched on regression a bit.
0: We should put it to the audience. If you want to know more about these tools and you want us to go a little bit deeper, let us know and we will do some extra content based around these tools. Um, and maybe some more as well, if people feel that they've enjoyed the tropical cocktail enough to want more.
1: Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm happy to discuss a full hour with you on regression analysis if you want <laughs> the
0: next time. But it's so interesting. And I think what makes it really real is when you use examples as well, your analogies make it easy to understand. And I think that's what's missing. In a lot of textbooks, you don't really get the real-life analogies that really help. So having someone like yourself who's an expert who can talk it through with that real-life site, it really does help. Absolutely. <laughs> There's no analysis going to help you with this next bit, Pranav. This is where you're really going to get tested. Do you fancy a go of the yes-no game?
1: Oh, 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 my God. I feel like I'm in trouble here.
0: <laughs> you are in trouble. So basically, it's called the yes-no game, but you cannot say yes or no. I've got three cards in front of me, card one, card two and card three. Now, each of the cards have a different topic within them, which I'm going to ask you the questions on. So what card would you like? One, two or three? Let's go with three. Card number three, pop music. It's great to listen to. It's great. to. Yeah. So that's a good answer. You didn't say yes or no. That's what I like. You're on to a good start. So, the idea is I've got 60 seconds. I'm going to fire you random questions around pop music. You can answer any way you want, but you cannot say yes or no or a variance of yes or no. You cannot go, mm hmm, or nod. And I can see you, the audience can't. If you nod, <laughs> you'll hear the gong and it means you're out. Okay.
1: Got it. Let's go.
0: Some people absolutely smash this, and other people go out very, very quickly. Very rarely get someone in the middle, so there's no pressure. Right, 60 seconds on the clock, ready and loaded. Pranav, this is your time, this is your moment, this is one for your CV. Do you enjoy listening to pop music?
1: Pop music is great.
0: Have you ever attended a pop concert?
1: I have not attended a pop concert. You've never been to a concert? I have been to a concert, but not a pop concert.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. Do you find yourself singing along to pop songs? I do sing along. (laughs) Is it in the car or at home? Both. With people in the car? Sure. (laughs) Have you ever purchased an album or a single from a pop artist? I have. Who was it?
1: It was Britney Spears.
0: I saw Britney Spears live. She was absolutely brilliant when I was 16. Have you ever danced to a pop music song?
1: I have danced to a pop music song.
0: Did you embarrass yourself?
1: Well, that was the point.
0: (laughs) Are you a pro dancer? I'm not. Have you ever... Done it, Brad. You smashed it! You are a cool customer! <laughs> you didn't even look phased well that's amazing well thank you <laughs> you did really well it's really hard especially when the follow-up questions come the initial questions all right because you think about it but if i follow up really really quickly your brain doesn't work quick enough to stop you saying it right. and um yes no is the most used two words in the english language as well which makes it a little bit more challenging <laughs> okay Pranav. if people want to get in contact with you or learn more about you is there somewhere they can go
1: absolutely they can reach out to me on linkedin happy to answer uh, any questions.
0: Brilliant. I'll put a, a link to your LinkedIn profile down in the description below so people got easy access to you. You're probably going to be inundated by thousands and millions of people, Pranav. You're probably going to need a, an executive assistant to help you.
1: <laughs> well, I look forward to it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. You've been a superstar.
1: Thank you so much, Matt. I, I really appreciate your time and it was wonderful chatting with you.
0: Some key takeaways from today's discussion with Pranav. Learn to select the right tool for the right problem. Now it comes of experience, it won't happen overnight, but having the right tool for the right problem definitely helps. Think screwdriver hammering in a nail. Pranav gave a great method of taking problems through to projects that directly relate back to business objectives. It was really good. It was about getting people together, directors, department leads, supervisors, frontline employees, all those roles, get them in a room. Look at overarching operational strategic objectives, large scale ones, three or four is probably enough. Then rank them by importance with a score of one to ten, ten being the most important. Then as a group, brainstorm using post-it notes to document the biggest opportunities and issues that people see within the organisation. If struggling, try a negative brainstorm and then flip the outputs to create opportunities. That's always a great way of getting ideas. Then group the post-it notes by categories, for example processes or services. Think about the effort versus ease versus impact of the issues that you've noted. An impact matrix is a great tool for doing this and you can also colour code them like Pranav suggested if that helps. Then next up, use a cause and effect matrix style process to help determine which to focus on. Rank each problem by importance on a scale of 0 to 10, again 10 being the most critical. Then rank each opportunity one by one to see the correlation against each strategic goal. Give it a 0 if it has no relation, a 1 if it has a minimal relation, 5 if it's got some correlation and a 9 for highly correlated. Do this for each and every one. This will generate more debate and discussion amongst the group but this is good. Come to a consensus and identify which issues relate to each of the predefined objectives. Your role here is to facilitate the conversation, stay neutral if you can. It's harder than it sounds. Now for each problem, simply add up those scores and you'll be left with a valuable list of issues ranked and aligned to your organisation's strategic direction. Super useful mechanism to build an impactful roadmap, both short-term and for longer-term transformation. We then took a very brief look at statistical analysis. Now, statistical analysis brings objectivity, rigor and evidence-based decision-making to continuous improvement. It helps uncover insights, quantify uncertainties, test hypotheses, predict future outcomes and evaluate performance, enabling organisations to stay competitive in a rapidly evolving business environment. Today, we focused on three commonly used statistical analysis techniques. We looked at the two sample t-test. Now this is used to compare the means of two independent groups so the average of two independent groups or samples to determine if they are significantly different from each other. It helps to assess whether any observed differences between the groups are statistically significant or simply due to a random chance or something. So let's say a coffee shop owner wants to determine whether there is significant difference in the average time it takes to serve customers during the morning shift and the afternoon shift. The owner collects data on the time taken to serve 50 customers during the morning shift and then 50 customers during the afternoon shift. The owner wants to know if there's evidence to suggest that one shift is significantly faster than the other. Now by conducting the two sample t test the coffee shop owner can determine if there is a statistically significant difference in serving times between the morning shift and the afternoon shifts and this information can be super valuable for making staffing decisions, optimising workflow or identifying areas of improvement in the service efficiency. Then we explored a little bit about correlation analysis. This technique is used to measure the strengths and the direction of a relationship between two variables. It helps to determine whether there is a systematic association between the variables and to what extent they vary together. Consider a researcher who wants to examine the relationship between studying hours and exam scores among a group of students. The researcher collects data on the number of hours each student spends studying for an exam and their corresponding exam scores. The researcher wants to determine if there is a relationship between the two variables. Now, by conducting correlation analysis, the researcher can gain insights into the relationship between studying hours and exam scores. Then this information can be useful for students, educators, and policymakers to understand the importance of studying habits and their impact on academic performance. Then finally, we took a shallow dip into regression analysis. Now, this technique is used to model and analyse the relationship between a dependent variable and one or more independent variables. It helps to understand how changes in the independent variables are associated with changes in the dependent variable and to make predictions or estimate values based on the observed data. So suppose a a real estate agent wants to determine the relationship between the size of a house in square feet and its selling price. The agent collects data on recently sold houses recording the size of each house and its corresponding selling price. The agent wants to predict the selling price of a house based on its size. Now, By conducting regression analysis, the real estate agent can estimate the relationship between house size and selling price. This information can be really useful for pricing properties, advising clients and making informed decisions in the real estate market. Now, this was a tentative step into the statistical space, but hopefully today's conversation with Pranav has helped shed some light on this space and given you some confidence to have a go in your organisation. Now remember, practice makes perfect. The examples I've given you here are applicable to all industries, not just the examples I've given you. I've just tried to make them real to help understanding. Give it a go. You'll surprise yourself. That brings us to an end of this episode of the Eversalim podcast. Thanks so much to Pranav for joining us today and taking us through some what can be really daunting topics. The selection of projects, I think the process that he spoke us through is absolutely brilliant. It's really simple. It allows you to prioritize. It allows you to get things prepared for next time. And most of all, it allows you to debate with people and discuss with people what impacts what, which is always super important. And the basic statistical analysis stuff, hopefully that's taken the edge off of it for you. The two sample t-test, the correlation analysis, the regression analysis, it's all really exciting stuff once you get into it. Now, if you like the sound of today's show and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Everceline podcast at where We'll also find episodes that you might have missed. If you can, please take a moment to like and review the podcast on the platform that you listened on. Your review means so much and I do really appreciate each and every one. If you're on the socials, search for the EverCeline podcast, give us a follow and a like, and let me know all about your lean efforts because I really would love to hear all about them. Thanks so much. And I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget EverCeline, You know, it makes sense. The EverCeline podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit everceline.com to find out more.